You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to our text for this morning, which is Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, some of you may know this. Uh, an exciting moment is coming next week as we are marking the ninth anniversary of our church uh, next Sunday, essentially. And so it's a great opportunity for us this time of year, every year, to give thanks to God for the many ways that he's been so faithful to our church. And I really want to begin this morning just commending you as our church, to commend our church for the way that we have grown and some of the really wonderful things that have gone on in our church from the beginning. Now, we have our blind spots We have our problems, but there are a number of really sweet things that the Lord has done through us as he's fashioned us and grown us as a church. I was reminded of one just this morning because I had an opportunity during the first hour to to have a a pastoral interview with a couple that are joining our church. And you know, for those who are unfamiliar, pastoral interview is not really an interview. It's a way to to kind of hear of the story of new people who are joining our church to hear about their, their faith and uh, their baptism and see if they have any other questions before they join Paramount Church. But it is just a sweet moment to be able to sit down with those who are joining because so often stories are told like the ones that I heard today that are just very simple. They're easy to overlook, but they are so important of just the warm welcome that people receive here. Now, we were not always good at that. In the early days when there were only maybe 20 of us meeting in the gym uh, or the, the cafetorium at Maryland Avenue Elementary School, we had to learn how not to swarm new people because we were so excited that they were there. But it is a beautiful thing to hear stories of new folks being taken in, being invited over for dinner, being cared for, being looked after. Even before they've joined our church, they're brand new. It's the first week that they're here being invited to community group. And so that is really something for us to celebrate because it's an important part of being a healthy local church. We have lots of ways that we can grow and change. God is working on us. But that is a beautiful thing that happens in our church on a regular basis. So it's good for us to celebrate these, especially this time of year as we mark another anniversary soon of God's faithfulness to us as Paramount Church here in Columbus. We're going to spend our time this morning looking at the next text that we come to in Revelation, now beginning chapter 3 in verses 1 through 6. You know, the book of Revelation, since we began... uh, couple of months ago, has delivered to us an important message. It's really a message that has been delivered to every single person who knows Christ, and it's this. It's that everyone is going through, and everyone is growing through something. No matter how far along the churches in the book of Revelation may be in one area, there are other areas in which they need to grow. And any Christian who is honest with himself or herself about the Christian life, you see that in your life. You know that you don't have it all together, that I don't have it all together. And while we are excelling in one area, praise God by his grace, we are are growing and changing in other areas. We see other areas of need. And so it's another occasion for us to give thanks to God for his ongoing grace even there. That's a beautiful thing to realize, by the way, It's not something shameful or disappointing, which is often 
our kind of natural response to it, we look in the mirror and we, we see something ugly that we don't like in our lives, it's easy for us to feel shame and disappointment and overlook the many good things that God is doing in us. But instead, it's important for us to recognize in that vision, in that realization, that this is the way that God has designed life to be. He's not designed life to be perfectionistic in such that we are going to be perfected in a moment and we move past sin and temptation and trials and troubles and losses and crosses and all of the other faults that we see in our lives. We move past them. They're gone. We finally made it. We got it down. We're good at the Christian life. No, no. It doesn't work that way. For some reason, in his wisdom and in his providence and in his sovereignty, he has made the Christian life very different. You know that and I know that. It is an ongoing kind of struggle. I think it's very important for us to mark texts like this and books of the Bible like this when this message comes up because there is a call and an importance for us to see the Christian life in this biblical way because when we don't, that's when we face real trouble. We face real trouble when we expect that the Christian life is going to be like a, a flat walk on a smooth surface. When in reality, the Christian life is a hike through the mountains. It's up and down. It's rocky. It's difficult. We fall. We struggle. We, we lose hope at times. That is, that is the Christian life. We wish that the Christian life was something like in our sanctification, an elevator, and it goes from the bottom, you push the button, and it goes straight up, very smooth, very easy. You don't even know that you're traveling. You don't even know that you're changing floors. But that's not what the Christian life is like. The Christian life is, is even, it's even not like an escalator. It's more like a ski lift. It's bouncy. It lurches forward and backward. Even though there are certain things that feel so right, there are other things that feel so wrong. And that is a message, that's a challenge that's coming out of the book of Revelation to us every time we hear a message to yet another church. So this morning, we want to consider together understanding that truth. How can we continue to make the most of this ski lift journey, of this hike through the mountains together? with all of its rocky terrain and all of its difficulty, all of its challenges, to find the beauty of the Christian life in the midst of it. And so we have this morning from this text three important actions that we should take, three truths or steps, actions for the Christian life if we're going to live this way. And that's what we want to do in our church. We're striving after it in many imperfect ways, but nonetheless striving. Here's the first. John writes to this church at Sardis, and he gives them the first principle of this text, which is that they must become or be spiritually alert. You'll notice here as you look at verse 1 that this message to the church at Sardis is a little different than some that we've heard recently say to Ephesus and Thyatira because those churches received congratulations at the beginning. They received commendations but this church is a little bit different. Listen to what he says in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, 
I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, and yet you are dead. This is a very different message. This is one that doesn't start off with the accolades, but rather cuts right to the chase. And it's an interesting accusation. Listen to it again. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. In other words, it seems that whatever was going on in this church outwardly, there was this this visible life going on, but inwardly, there was yet this very evident to God, death. You have a name that you are alive, and yet you are dead. Sardis the city was much like Sardis the church even. It was a busy place. It was busy like a beehive of activity, vitality. The church was likely a similar way because of the size of the city and all the hustle and the bustle and activity going on in Sardis, that the church, even by this description, was likely of some significant size because of the the commerce of the area, likely a church that had money, most likely a church that had ministries and programs, a church that, that definitely looked very good. But when you looked beneath the surface, there was still death. Something more important was missing. It's like when you go on Amazon and you look up the product that you want and you see all the description and all of the reviews and the pictures and you slide through them and you're just about ready to make that purchase and have it to yourself in just one day or two and you find, oh, it's on back order. It's not available right now. It doesn't matter how how flashy the presentation is. It doesn't matter how many pictures there are and all of the benefits and the description and the endorsements and the comments and the five stars because it's not there. It's just there on the outside. This is a a really difficult thing for anyone to hear. It's a difficult thing for me to hear because, because the book of Revelation, in a way, is saying this to me. It's saying this to you. Now, that's because of what we know the Christian life to be like. It is like this. It's not all flowers and sunshine. It's a mixture. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid between a a thorn tree and a fruit tree, sometimes bearing thorns, sometimes bearing fruit, sometimes showing healthy roots of good beliefs and truth and life, sometimes displaying weak roots, dry roots, malnourished roots. And therefore, there's always a mixture in every church and in every Christian of both life and death mixed together. He says, you have a name that you are alive. Outwardly, you are alive, and yet you are dead. It's the word necros. It's the word where we sometimes use the word necrosis for for death, a kind of, of, of gnawing death. We don't know exactly why, Perhaps it was because the church at Sardis had given in to the culture. We see that happen in churches pretty routinely, that when churches give in to the culture around them, something must give, and usually, usually it's the truth. Well, the truth of the church, the truth of the Christian, is the, the life of the Christian. Therefore, if we, if we were to subject the truth to the culture, to the world around us, it will bring about a kind of death. 
We saw that not too long ago in a kind of movement among churches, in particular in our country, but in other countries too. It was something that was sometimes characterized as the the seeker-sensitive model of church. It was a church that tried so desperately to reach people, which is a fantastic thing, but they were willing to sacrifice in certain ways what was true and what was right. And in the end, it brings about death. It weakens the church. It weakens Christians. That's what we see going on here. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Outwardly, there is some evidence of life, but inwardly, there's evidence of death. John is speaking to the church at Sardis as though it is a zombie church, as though they are somewhat, in some way, the walking dead. Perhaps that's what they did. Perhaps they majored on the externals and they minored on the internals and it led to a kind of flesh-eating death within their church. That happens in every church. That happens in our church. You can find places in our church where there's flesh-eating bacteria. Now, we are on the lookout for it. God willing, by his grace, we want to find it. We want to treat it. We want to kill it. We want there to be living flesh in our church. But it happens everywhere. It happens even in our Christian lives. Listen to what Richard Sibbs, the famous Puritan, said along these lines. This fantastic quote, outward things will do no more good than a fair shoe to a gouty foot. That's kind of a graphic, a graphic quote there. It's a little gross, but it makes the point. Outward things will do no more good than a fair shoe to a gouty foot. Well, what must we do if we don't want to be this kind of Christian or this kind of church? How are we going to avoid finding ourselves in this situation where we do some of the outward things, go to church, or we participate in community group. We might, even, we might even read our Bibles from time to time. We might spend time with other Christians. We might tighten up our language a little bit, tighten up our watching a little bit, and yet still we find that there is some death on the inside in some serious ways. Well, John tells them this first truth, this first action that we see in the text is this, we must become spiritually alert. That's what one of his answers is to this problem because notice verse two, be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Now there is good news in this text, as in many, even when the Bible is delivering bad news, there is good news embedded in it, and you see some here. What is the good news? God does not give up, even when he finds some death in his church. He does not give up, even when he finds some death in his Christian, or else he would say, it's all a waste, it's over. Or as one of my children, we sit and watch basketball. It's kind of become a joke. He loves to watch the game. And as soon as the team that he's not rooting for scores, he says, oh, it's over. It's over. The whole game is left. 
Well, that's never what the Lord says. Instead, he gives them the correction. Be constantly alert. He also gives good news because he shows just how gloriously gracious and penetrating is his vision. When you and I, faced with the remaining sin and death in our own hearts, want to discount everything else that's good that God is doing, God does not do it. Rather, he sees all. And you see it there in verse 2. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain. Even in this depressing diagnosis, God sees the things that remain, the things that are about to die, but have not died yet. Not everyone in the church at Sardis had departed from God's way. And that, of course, is because of God's ongoing grace, his presence among them, his work with them. And for that reason, there is hope because God is still at work. And he gives them that that important exhortation, be constantly alert. Wake up is the command. Wake up to what's going on. Key in, get your focus, get a grasp on the, the real problem at hand. Look within, not just without, for hope that everything is okay. Be alert. I think it's not a lot unlike being alert spiritually, being a lot like being alert physically, being alert to your surroundings. Have you ever noticed or heard stories that those among us who seem particularly in tune for one reason or another to the dangers of this fallen world change their level of alertness living in the world. When they go to restaurants or they go into stores and other places, you might hear stories like this in particular from law enforcement or military or anyone who happens to be more in tune with the dangers of this world. When they go into a restaurant, where do they sit? They sit with their back to a wall and their face to the door to see who's coming. They are alert. They are alert on the street when they're driving around. They're watching when certain things happen. Something's out of place. They take note of that. When maybe the rest of us just ignore it, it's no big deal. We're not quite as alert. He's calling them to this kind of spiritual alertness. It's an intentionality of thought, not just about the fruit of our lives. That's very important. But what he's saying here is there's something deeper. There's something more than just the name. And it is a spiritual alertness, an intentional thought about the root of our lives, what we are believing, what is going on in our hearts, what what level of of gladness are we pursuing in our hearts with Christ, what level of, of cheerfulness are we able to put on display for the world to see how great and sovereign is our God. What level of love and care and patience for other people are we seeing coming out of our hearts? And what needs to change on the inside? This is the first truth. And therefore, the first application to our lives, which we'll discuss more this week in community groups. I hope that you'll be there. Is that we should renew our own spiritual awareness of both the fruit and the root. But that we do it with hope. I think this is a key missing component for many of us, myself included. It's very easy for us to lose hope 
We become exasperated when we feel like we've, we've done all of these things and, and we've tried to make it down the road of the Christian life and yet still here's something else that I'm, I'm not doing quite right. Here's something else that needs to change. I, I see some more sin. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to become exasperated. It's easy to quit. It's easy to, to get sort of um, down on yourself. But is that what the Lord does? Does he get down on us? Well, no, he doesn't. He says, be constantly alert, strengthen the things that remain. He is with us. And because of the good news, we can do this with hope. I know that for many of us, the idea of renewing our alertness to our own root and fruit is super discouraging. It's a dark kind of thing to think about. Like, why, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to look into my own heart to find what's wrong? That doesn't sound like much fun. Well, friends, that's what the gospel does. It changes that. It changes that experience and turns it on its head because no longer am I on some, some endless, impossible quest. But rather, the Lord himself is with us. He is the one who has hope. He breathes hope within us. He gives us good news. He says, no matter what you find, no matter what you find when you look in your heart, I already know that it's there and I will not leave you. I will not condemn you. I will not pour my wrath out on you. What will I do? I will show you grace. I will help you. I will walk with you. I will care for you. No matter what the ski lift is doing, no matter how hard the hike through the mountains, I am already there and I love you. That is good news. That's what we need to hear more and more and more. Listen to what Richard Sibbs says in another place about this spiritual alertness. He says, when we grow careless of keeping our souls, then God recovers our taste of good things again by sharp crosses. Sometimes in the Christian life, we find that he's bringing difficult things into our lives because he's using them as tools. Again, that's incredibly good news. This is the, the good news of his ongoing work in us so that even when we see difficult things coming in or even when we feel his, his, his fatherly discipline upon our hearts or our spiritual backsides, that we know he loves us. This was one of the, one of the principles growing up uh, playing basketball in, in school was, was this. And anytime the coach would get on me about some mistake that I made, I was always very discouraged about it. I was really just like, like in despair about it because I wanted so bad to, to please the coach until somebody said, you should cheer up when he criticizes you because when he criticizes you, it means he hasn't given up on you. It means that he's still with you. It means that he still cares. If he didn't care, he would say, bench him. But instead, that's not what the Lord does. He doesn't bench us, does he? He continues to keep us in the game and he continues to work on our hearts and he does it here through the only way that we know how to change. How? How do we do this? He says next in verse 3 that we are to remember. Write that down. We are to remember, but remember something very particular, and that is the gospel. He says, remember the gospel. In your spiritual alertness, you must remember the gospel. He says in verse 3, so remember what you have received and heard. First, look at that word remember. That is a word that means to, to call to mind. 
It's also a word that is given to Christians in a group. So this is an important truth for us. If we want to practice this in our lives, we take it at face value and we say, here's what we need to do. Yes, we need to do this individually, but as a church, we have to stay together. We have to stay unified around the gospel and together remember the gospel over and over and over again. I know, I know that there is a ten- temptation and tendency for this to get boring to us because it seems like that's all we ever talk about. Gospel, 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 grace, 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 gladness, gladness, gospel, gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the go- I get it. You, we don't. No one gets the gospel. That's why we keep remembering it. But this is our bread and butter. This is our ultimate play from the playbook. At the very center is to remember the gospel. Listen to the way he puts it. Remember what you have received and heard. Again, we have this truth impressed upon us. What is most important to Christians. Hear this. What is most important to Christians is not what they do. It's what they hear. That's what's most important to Christians. Why do you and I struggle in the Christian life? We have a hearing problem. We have a remembering problem. And for people whose heart and life is an announcement of good news that has so much power packed inside of it that it not only converts you, but it also sanctifies you, it's a big deal to have a hearing problem. Therefore, it's over and over again in the scriptures, remember, 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 preach, 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 listen, 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 over and over. What are they to remember? Not what they do in the world. Not what they have in the world. He doesn't say that. He's not talking about materialistic things. Remember what you've received. Remember all these things that you've had and all the riches that you've amassed in the world and all these accolades that you have. No. They're not to remember the way they're treated in the world. But what they hear and receive is what they're to remember. And that's the gospel. They are therefore... We are therefore, hear this, to call to mind the gospel. This is the beauty of the simplicity of our faith and of what we're about in our church. It goes much deeper than that, we know, but there is simplicity in in what it means to be a Christian here. It means that you're hearing over and over again the gospel. That's what hearing with faith is all about. And that's why we want to keep remembering Gospel, gospel, gospel. To remember, to call up. That's a helpful little phrase right there, by the way. If you think of it that way, you're trying to get your your mind around what in the world does it mean then for me to remember the gospel? How do I preach the gospel to myself? That's kind of confusing. It sounds weird. What? Call up. Think about the ways that you have used that little phrase before and apply it to the way you think about the gospel now. Sometimes you might say that the the smell of of the ocean calls up memories of your childhood. Sometimes, uh, maybe not so much, but we used to say that you would call up someone's number from your computer or from your address book. You would call it up. You would remember it, call it to mind. In baseball, you hear them call up a pitcher from the bullpen 
or call up a player from the minor leagues. Or sometimes in in times of conflict around the world, military forces are called up. What is it? The calling up in all of those cases is an intentional act to fetch something. It's an intentional work to go out and grab something and bring it home, to put it in its proper place, is to call it up. That's what you've got to be doing. We've got to be calling up the gospel over and over and over again. Look at it once again in verse 3. Remember what you have received and heard. I think that these two things are virtually synonymous, so there are some little differences that you can, you can take away from them. They are to fetch what they received. There's a certain nuance there that reminds us of how we have come to faith in Christ. We didn't come to faith in Christ because we did something to earn it. It's not that we went out and dug up our salvation from the ground and suddenly we were saved, but rather it's something that you have received. It's something that's been granted to you. Your heart was changed by God and all of a sudden your hands became from closed to open and you received it. It's the gift of grace and redemption. That's what we have received. That's what Jesus Christ has given you. If you want to know how to call up the gospel, answer that question. What has he given you? He's given you righteousness. He's given you holiness. He's given you forgiveness. He's given you justification. He will one day give you glory with him. The more that we answer that question, the better off that we are, because then we will know better, not perfectly, but we'll know better what it means to preach the gospel to ourselves, to remember the gospel. But notice he also says that they are to fetch what they had heard. Again, it brings us right back around to that important truth that we keep circling our wagons around over and over again as a church, that what is most important in our church is what we hear. It's what is preached to us. And it can't just be moralistic things to do and more rules to keep and don't go here and don't say that. All of that's important, but you can't live on that. What do you have to have? You have to have the message. And it's that message that we've received. It's that message that we've heard. You heard this earlier, maybe without knowing it, in, in one of the verses of our church's favorite passage, really, reason our church is named Paramount Church, in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says that he delivered to them, the Corinthians, that which was of first importance, and that was the gospel. So our church is called Paramount. We want to make the gospel paramount. Listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2 again. Notice how he talks about both hearing and receiving when he's talking about the gospel. It drives home this point that what they are to be remembering is the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which means they heard it, which you also received. There it is. They heard it and they received it. But it goes far beyond because you see that it's not just this, this sideshow or this little, this little episode that they, they hear for a moment and then they move on from the gospel. But rather he goes on and he says, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which you also are saved if you hold firmly to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, this is what believers do. 
people who don't believe in vain, people who really believe, people who are actually saved by the grace of God, that's what they do. They don't do it perfectly. They struggle. There's ups and downs, just like the ski lift, but this is what they do. This is their bread and butter. This is their main play, is to hear and to receive and to remember and to stand and to ground their salvation in this, and then to firmly hold on to the word which was preached to them. So the second application for us this morning is that in order for us to remember the gospel, here's what we should do. Because I know that this is hard. I feel how hard it is in my own life. Start with the essential work of Christ on the cross. Start there. Start with the absolute basics Take some time every day or every week. Every day is, of course, better. Take some time every day and dig into the gospel message, the very basics, the essence of what Christ on his cross did for you. And recount, remember that. See it in your mind. Unpack it. Listen to it. And then, and then, of course, because the gospel is far bigger than just a cross, Move out into the implications of the gospel. Look at every way in which the good news of Jesus Christ cheers your heart in daily life. It changed your behavior and your beliefs and your mindset and your outlook and your hope every day. Move out into those implications. And when we do that, you and I will be remembering the gospel. And that's the very essence of what we're hearing here. Over and over and over again, remember the gospel. Then finally, he puts it one other way, which is sort of the last action, very similar to the second, and that is he says to keep it. Notice what he says there in the middle of verse 3 and on to the end of our text, which is verse 6. He says, and keep it and repent. Then, if you're not alert, I will come like a thief And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Here's this really firm, serious caution and warning about the importance of what it means to be a Christian. Because the only people who will not do this are the people who don't know him. And then he will come like a thief in the night. And it will be terrible. But there's hope, isn't there? Look at verse 4. He comes right back onto the hope, right back onto the grace. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He says, the one who overcomes will be clothed the same way in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels to the one who has an ear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. You do get to see in another way by sort of turning these last few verses on their head exactly what was the problem. Why was this this whole business of having a name and yet being dead so serious? You can see by looking at those who belong to him, those who walk with him, from the reverse, you can see what was the problem in other parts of the church. Notice what it says. He says that they soiled their garments. 
How did they do that? What does that mean that they soiled their garments? Well, some were not walking with him because you see that he says they will walk with me in white. He says that they were spiritually dead. They, of course, are not walking with him, but they've soiled their garments and, and they're, no, they're, not, they're not belonging to him. And then in the end, their names would not be found in the book of life. Therefore, he says, if you know me, keep your inheritance. Keep it close. Guard it. Take care of it. Remember the gospel and keep it. This is what is so amazing about the good news of Jesus Christ in the word of God, is that when he says keep it, it is not a call to do something more. It's not as though he has given a list of commands and says, if you just keep up with the commands, then everything will be cool. But rather, the announcement of good news that comes into their ears is what they are to keep. It's to get into their hearts where the the place of repentance is and to keep it, to protect it, to guard it. That's what it means to keep the gospel, to guard it in your hearts. There's an amazing picture of this not too far away from here in Fort Knox, Kentucky. You've probably heard of Fort Knox as the place where the large portion of the country's gold reserves are stored under incredible security, incredible security. In fact, in World War II, I read that original copies of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence were secretly transported to Fort Knox because that was the safest place for them. And then later, once everything had cooled down, they were put back in place. Did you know that only one president in the history of our country has ever been granted access to Fort Knox? Only one. And that's because he made a big fuss about his fears that it was not secure enough and he wanted to see it for himself. Only one president. In the 80 years that Fort Knox has been in existence, there has been not one record of theft. That's because in order to get inside, you first have to breach the granite perimeter. You have to get past the armed guards. A crook would then have to break into a 22-ton vault door, 21 inches thick. The door is secured by a lock that is so advanced that it takes 10 people to unlock it. No one has the entire code. All 10 must be together to access it. That's what we are to do with the gospel, to protect it. But here's the interesting twist. The difference between the world's riches, gold and wealth and diamonds, are entirely different than heaven's riches, the gospel. The gospel is heaven's richest commodity. But the way that it's kept is not under lock and key. The way that it is best kept is by putting it on display, by distributing it throughout the world. Because it is so powerful that when it gets a hold of a person, it captivates him. It puts a spell on her. She falls in love with the person of the gospel. And he wants nothing but to keep it. In fact, the best way to keep the gospel is to make sure that the most people have access to it. That's why we're preaching the gospel. That's why we're we're counseling the gospel. We're sharing the gospel. We're conversing about the gospel. Because that's the way that we keep it. That's how we keep our inheritance. This is our great inheritance. It could never be kept or done justice in Fort Knox.
can only be kept in hearts that love the king who delivered it to us by the announcement of this good news. Last, I want you just to see that this entire work of keeping our inheritance and remembering the gospel and being spiritually alert is fueled by something very precious to us as Christians. It's fueled by a list of unending promises. Because all along the way, promise after promise after promise after promise is made to people who are struggling, to people who are on a ski lift, to people who are making their way through the mountains with God's help, and that is their fuel. It is what enables us to do these things. And you see this here at the very end of our text this morning. He says, to the one who overcomes, the one who overcomes will be clothed the same way in white garments. Jesus, the shepherd, in the very end, will clothe those who belong to him in perfect righteousness with no spot or blemish of any sin or death. Then he goes on and says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. Jesus, the judge who oversees all of salvation, will not blot your name out of the book of life because you know him. And knowing him, his last promises that he will confess you to his father. As Jesus, the mediator to the ultimate king of the universe, he will stand for us and he will confess us to his father. He will say, Rush, he belongs to me. Catherine, he belongs to me. Bill, he belongs to me. Jared, he belongs to me. Lacey, she belongs to me. That is an amazing promise. And that is the fuel of what keeps us going and keeps us doing this last application, protecting the gospel by making it known and by knowing it well. Remember, keep, repent. This is a trio of the Christian life that's ongoing every day. We want to strengthen the things that remain so that God will continue to, to make our church blossom and be useful to him, and that he would encourage and uplift our hearts in every way. Of course, we know that that begins by faith in Christ. It could be that you're here today, you're, you're visiting with us, or, or you've been here for a while, and yet you know that you need to come to Christ. Because when you hear a description of Christianity like this, you know that that's not you. You know that you don't have any interest in the gospel. You're not interested in keeping it. That it is just in name. And yet on the inside, you're dead. I challenge you. I, I beg you that you would come to Christ, that you would repent of your sin and place your trust in him and walk with him. And if that's not you, if you are in Christ and yet you're a smoldering wick and it seems like you're just about to go out, Reach out to God, call out to God that he would fan into flame that little spark that is in your heart and do everything that you can to fuel it with his promises and with his good news. We are here to help you and we need your help all the same. I want to invite you to stand right now as we pray and prepare our hearts to sing again. If you have a decision that you need to make or you want to talk to someone more about the gospel, this is a fantastic time as folks will be at the back, some pastors at the back as well. To either talk now or find a time to talk later. Our Father, we give you thanks this morning because of your unending goodness and grace toward us. 
Your mercy uh, knows no bounds, obviously, because even when we look in the mirror and we see these parts of us that are just not the way that they should be, you do not turn us out, but rather you draw us in. You give us hope and you give us the encouragement that we need and you help us to strengthen the things that remain. God, help us to do that in our church and in our lives. Make us spiritually alert. Cause us to remember the gospel and to keep our inheritance secure by preaching it regularly to our own hearts and by, by advancing the gospel around the world and throughout our church. We pray for your help in this this morning. We pray that our songs would be full of happiness to you because of how good you have been to us. Strengthen us this morning as we sing again together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.